Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Joshua Chaffin. This week, we'll be discussing Chinese President Xi Jinping's momentous state visit to Britain, which has featured all the extraordinary pomp and circumstance the UK can muster, and some very serious geopolitics, too. David Cameron and his powerful chancellor, George Osborne, are betting that the carefully choreographed four-day visit will result in a commercial windfall for a nation still digging itself out of the 2008 financial crisis. But the extraordinary degree to which they've gone to accommodate the Chinese, minimizing discussion of human rights, for example, or limiting complaints about dumping by Chinese steel producers, has prompted much debate about whether they have miscalculated. So, has Britain cemented its place as a prosperous China's best friend in the West, or has it bowed too deeply to an authoritarian regime? Joining me to discuss this is our Beijing bureau chief, Jamil Anderlini, and his Washington counterpart, Dmitry Sevastopilo. Jamil, let's start with you. The images here in London have been spectacular. Britain has rolled out the reddest of red carpets. How is it all going down in China? Well, if you look at state media, it's clear that this has uh, been a resounding success from the perspective of President Xi Jinping, from the perspective of the ruling Communist Party. Obviously, Chinese state media is extremely tightly controlled by the Communist Party. So the Chinese people only see the images that the party wants them to see. But there have been some spectacular images. And it's particularly important from the Chinese perspective to have those kind of real moments of giving respect to the Chinese leader because of history. If you look back in history, every Chinese schoolchild learns about the outrages of the Opium Wars, the British colonial imperialist incursions into China, the unequal treaties, the gunboat diplomacy, the opium dealing. This is something that's very much still talked about in China, that Britain did these terrible things to us. They started the carving up of China amongst the imperialist powers, and they were the most active. And so Britain now turning around and putting the Chinese president in a golden carriage and feeding him down the Mall to Buckingham Palace plays very, very well in China. And how does this work for Xi in particular? I mean, he's been a very assertive leader. He's had a very active presidency. What in particular is he trying to harvest from this visit? Well, Xi Jinping has set himself up as something of a modern emperor, someone who is the embodiment of the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. That's the phrase he likes to use. And that's his mission statement, if you like, is the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. Now, when he can get these kind of very ceremonial greetings where he can give these short and sort of friendly, sort of a bit antagonistic speeches, which he's been giving. That looks very good. It looks like he's the leader of a powerful country on the global stage that everyone respects and maybe fears a little bit. That plays very well. Now, it's especially important for President Xi right now because he's going through arguably the biggest economic uncertainty, if not crisis, in China in a couple of decades. If you look at what happened in the markets, you look at what's been happening with the slowdown in the GDP, with the valuation of the Chinese currency, there have been some real hiccups over the summer, and he needs to kind of secure his standing at home. And this all helps. 
And let's turn to the Brits. Do you think that they will get what they wanted out of this? Will it pay off? I think if you listen to the speech on Tuesday when Xi Jinping addressed the Houses of Parliament, there was one line that I thought was very important and that David Cameron would have been very pleased to hear, which is Xi Jinping said that the UK is now the biggest, most important offshore renminbi trading center outside of Hong Kong. So that was really, I think, what the Cameron government was most keen to hear because other countries and other places, Singapore, Frankfurt, Luxembourg even, many places have been trying, sort of vying for this position of the biggest trading center outside Hong Kong. And now Britain has secured that. So from that perspective, it's quite a successful visit so far. There are other investments, obviously, that Britain would like the Chinese to be involved in. And yeah, I mean, if Britain gets a whole lot of commercial deals out of this, then you could say it served the purpose that it appears to have served. Now, the danger and the downside is, of course, what this so-called accommodation of China by the British is doing to Britain's other relationships. Dimitri, that's um, probably a good question for you. But um, I imagine this all looks quite different from Washington, where recently... There was also a state visit by the Chinese, but with seemingly a very different tone. Yes, that's right, Josh. I mean, in some ways, there's a similarity, which is that when Xi Jinping came to Washington, he was also given a big state visit. He had a 21-gun salute on the South Lawn of the White House. He had a state banquet. He met with, obviously, President Obama for a long time. He had a private dinner with the president. So in that sense, the visits were similar. I think where things diverge is that the U.S. feels very strongly that the UK has thrown many of its old principles out the window in order to boost trade with China and to get more investment into its infrastructure and other sectors. And there's a lot of consternation about that here. Now, the British deny that, and they say that Britain is still talking about human rights. It's still going to stand up to China when it feels like it must. But there are very few officials in Washington who see any evidence of that. And a very interesting quote from a guy called Evan Medeiros, who until about three months ago was Barack Obama's top Asia advisor, he said to us on the record that if there's one truism in managing relations with a rising China, it's that if you give in to Chinese pressure, it'll inevitably lead to more Chinese pressure. And he said that London was playing a dangerous game of tactical accommodation. And that's a view that is widely shared in Washington. I don't think anyone here begrudges the kind of pomp and ceremony that the British have laid on for Xi Jinping. And that's part of the mystique of Britain to Americans too. It's what happens beyond that that they're concerned about. And they think that This is happening at a time, for example, that China is being very assertive in the South China Sea, and the Americans are trying to challenge the Chinese and challenge their claims to sovereignty over disputed waters. And they feel that if they don't have British support for an international rules-based order that the Americans and the British helped to create after World War II, if they lose that, then it makes their position weaker and it makes it more difficult to challenge China. And I think also it has repercussions for the UK-US relationship down the road. If this is a sign of the US going wobbly, as Margaret Thatcher might have put it, then the Americans are going to be increasingly concerned that their special relationship with their British ally is not as special as it used to be. I would think that the Chinese investment in the British nuclear facility at Hinkley Point would be particularly controversial or troublesome viewed from Washington. How how does it look, Dimitri? Actually, that's one thing that some people have raised with me, which is interesting. They say, if you look at the infrastructure that China is investing in, in the UK and Europe, particularly the UK, we have the nuclear deal, Huawei, the Chinese telecoms company that basically can't do any deals in the US because of suspicions that it's working for the Chinese government, has got a much more friendly or welcome in Britain. 
But with respect to the nuclear deal itself, some people have said to me that you know, the world of nuclear experts is quite small. And several years ago, the U.S. started to share more uh, nuclear submarine-related technology with Britain. And there's some concerns that as the Chinese kind of make inroads into these industries in Britain, that they will also be coming closer to some technologies that are very sensitive and would be damaging from a U.S. perspective if Beijing got their hands on them. So from that perspective, there's a lot of concern, actually, about the nuclear deal. And I think people are quite surprised that Britain is being so aggressive in courting that kind of investment. Dimitri, is there any second-guessing in Washington for all the criticism of the British approach? The U.S. policy towards China has certainly had its fumbles under the Obama administration, seemingly fought a losing battle against uh, China's Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Are there any voices in Washington suggesting that maybe the softer British approach is the way to go? Very few. I mean, on the AIIB question, there are a lot of people who will say that the Americans handled that very badly. And and what they mean by that is when the British went ahead and said they were going to join and become the first member of the G7 to do so, they gave the Americans very little notice, which went down very badly in the White House. But the Americans responded by actually giving a quote to the Financial Times to us saying that they were tired of the constant accommodation of China by Westminster. Now, that quote went down very badly. The British didn't like it, and it created some ripples in the relationship. So I think there's some people who say that the Americans didn't handle the outcome of the British move very well. But more broadly, you know, while the Americans will admit that they don't have a perfect policy on China, certainly tactically they have made mistakes in the South China Sea and elsewhere, but they think strategically Britain is going in a very different direction to them, and that's where they're worried. Because most of the big decisions on international policy, the consequential decisions globally, over the last few decades, have been done where Britain and America have been aligned. And they're concerned that this is an example of two strategic Atlantic allies actually diverging in the face of the rise of a Pacific power. Jamil, if a country then does want to court China, is this the way to go about it? If you look at a country like Germany that has a flourishing commercial relationship with China, but seemingly has not been quite as accommodating as the UK, does that provide a different model? Well, if you talk to any long-time China experts from the West, and not just the West, from Asia as well, you talk to anyone who's dealt at length and over a serious amount of time with China in negotiating, they will tell you that this is absolutely the wrong approach. For example, Singaporean diplomats, American diplomats, German diplomats, they'll say to you, as Evan Medeiros told the Financial Times, as Dimitri mentioned, when you succumb to Chinese pressure, the inevitable result is more Chinese pressure. It's a zero-sum style of negotiating, which is particularly Chinese. I mean, the Chinese learn how to do this at diplomat school, how to negotiate when your adversary over the table shows some weakness, you move him for the kill. The idea that if you sort of open the gates and say, welcome in, we're good friends, and things are going to all be cuddly and cozy, uh, there is almost nobody who's dealt with the Chinese government in particular over a serious amount of time who thinks that's a winning strategy or a clever strategy. And so the criticism you hear amongst diplomats based in Beijing is scathing. I mean, it's really like everyone. I know for a fact that many of the diplomats have been sending cables back to their capitals in recent weeks and months, pictures of kowtows, you know, references to kowtow. Everyone pretty much thinks that this is a poor strategy to follow. Well, that's it for this week. My thanks to Jamil Anderlini and Dimitri Sevastopulo. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week. Good- 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.